This is Frank About Sports, a.k.a. The Old Man. You're listening to the official Mets Weekly Podcast, hosted by four Mets fans who are brutally honest and don't hold back. Make sure to head over to our YouTube channel and follow us on TikTok for exclusive content on each platform. So with that being said, let's go Mets and enjoy the show. You know, I said a few weeks ago that I'm not worrying about spring baseball. I'm on a beach in Port St. Lucie. I'm relaxing and having fun. Well, I'm not having fun anymore. And I think every single Mets fan can agree. It's time to get the bubble wrap. Episode 11 of the Mets Weekly Podcast. Mets fans, welcome to 60 Minutes of Brutal Honesty. Now, I'm just going to skip the intros because, one, I don't like these people that I do this show with, and two, I don't think that we can really stray from this week with talking about it as a whole, so I'll pop these guys on the screen. There's Frank, there's Andrew. Links are in the description. You guys know the drill by now. Let's just get into it. Every Mets fan knows the top story. On Wednesday night, Edwin Diaz suffered a full thickness tear in his patellar tendon during a celebration for Team Puerto Rico after they defeated Dominican Republic to advance to the quarterfinals in the WBC. Diaz underwent a successful surgery the following day, designating him to possibly be out, most likely, for the entire 2023 season. The Mets lose their star closer who signed a five-year, $102 million extension this offseason in which they will be reimbursed for his $18 million projected salary while he is on the injured list. We did, if you want my, we did a stream and a video talking about this guy. They don't need much more We've already done a stream and a video about it. Frank needs to talk a lot. I don't. That's fair. As another fellow Puerto Rican, it was such a roller coaster of emotions. That's the way I, I look at it because Edwin Diaz came into that game looking as dominant as ever, striking out the side, going right through him, and the place was going crazy. You know, the announcer was saying, This guy's got the best stuff in the world. And you're just like, Wow, like this guy is on the Mets. He, he, you can't touch him right now. And then the game is over. They celebrate. And what's so crazy to me is that. The celebration wasn't that extreme. It, it wasn't like they literally like knocked him down and everyone's just dogpiling on him. It was just pretty generic jumping up and down, and then all of a sudden he's on the ground. So I, I think it's just such a fortunate circumstance, which is going to be probably the recurring theme as we go along with some of these other stories we're going to get to. But, I mean, here's a guy who was just so excited for his country, and you and we see all these takes, all meaningless games. Maybe to you, but it is very obvious to the people that are there, to the players that are participating, this means a lot to a lot of these guys. And you know what? It's your choice whether you go out there. If Edwin Diaz wanted to represent Puerto Rico and there's going to be celebrations, that's the risk he took. And you know what? The Mets allowed him. And this was something that I said way back when. You know, you always do run that risk of having these guys get hurt. It happened. But I, I think that, you know, like Andrew said, bullpen arm, it shouldn't be the biggest deal in the world. It kind of is when it's the arm, when it's the best guy by quite a margin right now. As far as relief pitching goes, you can't just replace that with another arm. I mean, I'm glad they brought in David Robertson. They brought back Adovino, but they aren't as, you know, automatic lockdown as Edwin Diaz is. And Diaz was a guy that, like they said, sometimes he was the seventh, sometimes in the eighth. 
runners on. I mean, because his command has gotten so much better that you could use him in all these situations. You don't have to worry about him walking batters. So I think it's just extremely frustrating because, you know what, the Mets just gave him this big contract and you're already going to miss out in the first year. And we talk so much about being in a short window, being in win-now mode with only a very limited time frame with Scherzer and Verlander. To not have Diaz, it really changes just how good this team is because the one area they really improved this year was the bullpen. And now they just lost the biggest piece of it. So uh, they're kind of back to where they were last year as far as where the team is. So uh, it's very upsetting. There isn't too much they could do about it. I mean, what's going to happen now? USA, if they win, just Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil just stand still and nobody moves and everybody just like gives a thumbs up to each other and no one celebrates. Like it's just, it, you're putting such a hard predicament if you're the Mets. It's just very upsetting. We all know how much of an Edwin Diaz supporter I've been since pretty much day one. And I think that it hurts in the fact that I could be so angry where I could blame the WBC and I could, you know, go after that and I could do that. But again, this is the risk you take with everybody. There's really just no way that you can prevent a possible freak injury of that stature happening. It happened to the Mets and the Mets have really been tied to a lot of hilarity in the his in history. I mean, that's just a given. We all know that if that celebration were to happen again, 99,999 out of 100 times, that's not going to happen again. It was just a freak injury and it happened. It's not like every single player goes to the WBC just with a risk of getting injured. We know especially as Mets fans, an injury can happen at any point, right? At any single point. Luckily, the Mets do have backup plans. Luckily, when the worst come to worst, the Mets have guys they could plug into that role. But we said this in our previous video that we posted this week. You're not going to replace Edwin Diaz. You're not going to replace the production that you got from him. You're not going to replace the skill that he displays. You're not going to replace that explosiveness. It's just not going to happen. I'm not here to blame the WBC. I'm really not here to blame Edwin Diaz getting injured. It just, it happened. Like, it happened on the field. It's not like Ioannis Cespedes where he's in just some random ranch in Florida getting chased by a wild boar. It was an accident. It was not meant to happen. Unfortunately, it happened to our $102 million closer, but there's nothing really that you can do about it. At this point, it's a big loss. It sucks. It's heartbreaking. It really is, especially someone who has really taken on New York. Let's not forget, at the beginning of his Mets career, it was not pretty. And now it's somebody who wanted to come back and who wanted to possibly spend the rest of his career here. And now we don't get to see him for at least a year which really, really sucks. Now, Edwin Diaz did say that he does plan on possibly returning in 2023. I don't see that happening. I personally don't. But you know what? If he says he's ready to go, he's ready to go towards the end of the season. But I'm not counting. I think we've pretty much talked it all out. I think social media has completely talked this thing out. And what has been said has been said. Whether you disagree or agree with things that are going on social media and getting you know pissed about this whole situation, there's nothing that you can really do about it. I love Diaz so much that you know I just I wish him well. 
and a speedy recovery. That's it. Now, speaking of more surgery, before the Edwin Diaz madness, Mets' new left-handed pitcher, Jose Quintana, underwent a bone graft surgery after his MRI imaging revealed a lesion on his rib. The Mets are reportedly not expecting Quintana back in action until July at the earliest. Quintana signed a two-year, $26 million contract with the Mets this offseason and was slated to be the Mets' fourth starter on opening day so this one is even more unfortunate because there was nothing the Mets could have done I mean at first we're like oh my gosh Quintana's coming out of the game something wrong with his ribs with the side what's going on the guy was so durable this stuff happens I mean look what happened with Liam Hendricks you know another guy who was a Mets target but these kind of things could happen you know it's happened to Carrasco in the past like these are the kind of things that are unavoidable it's very sad but it could have been worse so at least Quintana is expected to be okay He'll be back at some point because things like this are bigger than baseball. You know, we could talk about all, oh, you know, the Mets rotation is the guy that just signed and the guys that they didn't re-sign and now other guys have to step up. All that is good and all. But, you know, I'm just more concerned about Quintana that he does make a recovery and he is able to get back to playing baseball because stuff like this is just super sad because it happens out of nowhere. Like you think you're doing fine. Then all of a sudden you have to come out of the game and this gets revealed and you need bone graft surgery or something like that. So, you know, I'm really just wishing the best for Quintana because anything like this is just very crazy. But again, I mean, these are the things that happen in baseball. This is why we preach so much depth, depth, depth with everything, with any position, because it could be a celebration. It could just randomly show up on your bones. I mean, anything can happen at any point. So that's why you have to have competent players at all areas of the team. This way you could always have somebody fill in where you don't lose one of these guys and you say, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do now? I mean, that's why your team may look okay, but you never know. I mean, because literally anything can happen to any player at any point. That's just how sports work, especially with the Mets, especially with baseball. So there's just knowing those things, and it's overall just very sad. Yeah, again, the depth is the key word that Frank brings up, that we want the depth. Because, again, this was the one guy in the rotation we all kind of penciled in. Oh, you know, Scherz is probably going to deal with something. Verlander's going to deal with something. McGill, Carrasco. He was kind of that one guy. We're like, this is the guy who can trust to get 160 innings out of it, and now he's gone for three months. But, yeah, again, it just happens out of nowhere. This is what's, you know, this, with this game, anything can happen. You could tweak it going covering first base you can land wrong boom it happens but yeah again the depth isn't the greatest in the starting rotation and we'll get to it later but to lose a Quintana that was supposed to be the guy we penciled in for the innings you know we lose guys in the offseason that were those last couple years of those guys 180 innings well now you just lost that guy and now you have even more question marks in a rotation full of them and the only kind of somewhat constant is now gone so we're waiting to see hey it's just like getting a trade deadline acquisition according to uh, billy epler maybe you don't got to go out and add another pitcher which you do but you know what it's okay we'll get him back but again it sucks we'll see we'll see if any of the young kids step up we know who the depth's going to be we'll see if those guys can step up and fill those shoes but again it's definitely a major loss because that was the one constant in that rotation we thought we could pencil in and now that is gone this is the last guy that I expected in this rotation to go down in terms of durability. Sure, he is in his mid-30s, and you always have that risk of injury, but he has shown, especially for a majority of his career, that he can go out there and give you 170 to 200 innings, possibly. Another thing that does suck is that this is your projected only lefty. I, I really was not expecting 
complete dominance from Jose Quintana. I was just expecting this guy to just go out and give me quality innings. And when he went down and when you have all these question marks of guys of health at the top of the rotation, the bottom of the rotation, I'm going to say it one more time. I miss Trevor Williams so much. Like I miss him way too much. And I think that it was worth it to give him what the Nats gave him especially if you're going with an older rotation. I am a little bit more confident as to compare to how I was going into the season because so far we haven't had really had any ding-ups with Scherzer and Verlander. Would it be nice to get 150 from either of each of them? Absolutely. But, I mean, it's a tall task from somebody, from guys who are above the age of 35. I think that in terms of his health, I would not be surprised if we don't see him this season. And I, I'm, I really just, it's something about it. And I'm no doctor, again, I obviously am not 100%. I don't have a doctorate in anything. Bone graft surgery, to me, that just doesn't sound right. I just, it's something about that that just does not sound right. It could be a Carrasco situation in his first year here where he comes back after the trade deadline. I wouldn't be surprised if there are some setbacks here because for some reason, this just doesn't sit with me. This was a whole situation that was very odd. The fact that we got all of these updates, it's just, it, it's just a feeling. So I'm not confirming that he's not going to come back this year, but something about it just does not seem comforting. So the Quintana injury brings us to the pivot subject of who will replace him. Even though the Mets have expressed a good amount of interest in a six-man rotation, the spring battle of Tyler McGill and David Peterson so far has been an interesting one. McGill so far, 11.2 innings pitched, four earned runs, which is criminal, six walks, 10 strikeouts. Peterson so far, 12 innings, no runs, eight walks, 13 strikeouts. Last year, Peterson provided 105.2 innings of solid depth for the rotation posting a 3.83 earned run average and striking out a career best 27.8% of batters faced. As for McGill, the premier promise showed some flashes, but he had multiple injuries down the stretch of the season, just appearing in 47.1 innings. Both pitchers are coming into a 27-year-old season and expected to both make a key contribution to the starting rotation in 2023. It doesn't really matter because you're going to see them both. So it doesn't matter who wins, if who who gets to take Quintana's spot, because both of them are going to fill in that spot. Like we like Bucket said, you're going to see a six-man rotation. So meaning both of them are probably going to get starts. In the battle of, I guess, who gets the first time through the rotation gets the four spot, let's say, or Carrasco five, whatever. I I guess you can give it to Peterson because you want to replace the southpaw in the rotation. You know, McGill has started. They both thrown well in sprint, so it really isn't a bad answer as much as one person won't shut up about it. They're fit starters. Like, they're not going to be Cy Young caliber pitchers. They're fit starters. They're fit their fourth starter. All you want is quality innings. Like, they're not – this isn't replacing Scherzer like, you know, the DeGrom, McGill opening day stuff. Like, you're not doing that. This is their four and five in your rotation. So all you want is innings and just three, four run ball, five innings of work. That's five, six innings of work. That's what you ask for. Both of those guys can give you that. So, again, for me, it doesn't really matter. I guess I'll give it to Peterson just because to keep the lefty in the rotation to replace the Katana spot. But in all, in all seriously, it doesn't matter. You're going to see both guys battling and probably both throwing a hundred. Yeah, I mean, I'm with Andrew. I think the other guy, uh, to put in this equation, I know it wasn't in the question, but 
before the season began, we did talk about Joey Lucchese. Obviously, he's not in consideration. I mean, he got sent down to AAA already while these other two guys are still in big league camp. So because of that, and since there's no other really swing arms, I mean, I never can see Eliezer Hernandez or these guys. I do feel like McGill and Peterson will both be on the team. I think Peterson gets the edge only simply because of ERA. I know he walks a lot of batters. I get that. But I think if the guy hasn't given up any runs, I mean, how could you go against him? It may not look pretty. It may not look sustainable. But if the guy has given up less runs, that's how you win games. Give up less runs than the other team. Whether it's lucky, unlucky, whatever, that's the guy I would lean towards. We done? Yes. All right. So let's put this in terms of logic. Here's what we look at in spring training. Pitch quality. In terms of pitch quality compared to McGill and Peterson, McGill is pitched better than Peterson, and I'm going to stay on that hill. Now, as for Peterson, I've been impressed. Not enough to really care. I understand we have to give Peterson his roses every time that he has a 10-inning stretch of good deeds. That's how that works. Still like McGill a little bit better. There's just something about it. There's something about that tall guy that just makes him better. Both of them are going to contribute to the rotation no matter what. We know this by now. Whether anybody gets hurt or nobody else gets hurt, we already have one pitcher down. I think that they favor Peterson for some fucking reason, but in terms of results, Peterson is the greatest pitcher of all time. We'll see how either of them perform down the stretch of the season. There is obviously concern with the depth after it. If there are any quality pieces that can, you know, contribute in a consistent way from the standards that I have for them, I've liked what I've seen so far. So that's the whole situation. So injury news is not fun, huh? Well, guess what, guys? I got more for you. Yay! We've got multiple bullpen arms on the report, so here's the rundown. Last week, Mets lefty Brooks Railer was removed from the USA roster in the WBC, ironically replaced by former Met Aaron Loop. Railey was diagnosed with a low-grade hamstring strain, the situation being labeled as precautionary, as Railey expects to be ready for opening day. Earlier this week, it was announced that Mets flame-throwing right-hander Bryce Montes de Oca has a stress reaction in his elbow after being removed from a spring game on Sunday. For Mets GM Billy Epler, Bryce has been now shut down from throwing for the next three to four weeks, and the Mets believe that they have dodged the worst case scenario. Also this week, Sam Coonrod underwent imaging that revealed a high-grade lat strain after experiencing discomfort the previous day. All three of these pitchers are currently on the Mets 40-man roster, with Montez de Oca and Coonrod currently being placed on the 10-day injured list. Uh, the bullpen depth, which was Billy Epler's main target, it seemed like, in the offseason, is grabbing as much cost-controllable, optionable arms, and Dayoka goes down. Rayleigh, obviously, being one of the high-leverage arms that he brings makes the trade with Tampa Bay, and then Coonrod and Dayoka, who were both having amazing springs, and both making arguments to be on the open day roster. Boom! Knocked out Dayoka probably for two months. We haven't really heard a specific timetable yet for Coonrod, but probably a month, I would say. You're not going to see Coonrod, but again, the depth in Syracuse is going, is getting, you know, it's being thinner than what it, we, we started the spring with. But, you know, especially with an injury news with Diaz, we thought, oh, God, Deoka especially could have been a high leverage arm. Well, now you're not seeing him for probably two months. Coonrod was having a lights out spring and saying, hey, maybe him and John Curtis could have been, you know, two low-risk, high-reward ceiling relievers that they brought in, and now Coonrod has gone. And 
again, to be determined his timetable. So, again, this is where Epler has done a lot, is adding bullpen depth, and there's still a, still a decent amount of depth in that reliever uh, in AAA or whatever, four A relievers, however you want to call them, and they've already added two more since these injuries have happened. So he has done a good job at adding um, arms in that in the, in the bullpen depth. So it's not, you know, yes, it's not the oh my god, you know, they're done for the year. Like at least they've dodged some bullets, especially in the Oka's case. We thought it was Tommy John; he was done for another year, with it only being probably two months though he's back. He missed dodged a bullet there, but again, I think Epler has done a good job, and I think he will continue to just add these kind of guys you can stash away in Syracuse for reliever depth, and he's done a good job there, at least, in adding some depth. Yeah, I mean, it's just bad timing right now to have so many guys that all the same position go down in such a short time frame. But it is good that the Mets did put a priority on getting those other arms, not just your major league arms of the Raleys and the Adovinos, but also those other arms, the Brigham's of the world, Coonrod, Yacobonis, you know, some of these other guys that are kind of underneath that, like I have been showing a little bit of some high upside at low risk. Obviously, John Curtis, they got him the year prior, and he's um, paying off really well so far. But I, I'm glad that they added a couple more arms. But it's like we've been saying this whole episode, that's still not enough. I mean, you still have to add more because you don't know who else is going to go down. Again, it, it's at any given time. Like, we didn't even see Rayleigh get hurt. It was just, oh, he's not playing WBC. He just has a hamstring strain. Like, it, it just happens so randomly. You don't even get to see it happen besides Bryce. We all saw that. Everyone's like, okay, he's definitely hurt. He's coming off the field. Everyone else is just, oh, he's got a latch strain. Oh, he's got a hamstring. You know, this guy's got that. So it's just very annoying. Uh, the Mets still have a few guys that they could kind of count on. And, again, with the Diaz thing, that makes it even worse. So it's gotten to the point now where it's like everybody's job description, everyone's role has been elevated. You know, there's more to ask out for David Robinson. There's more to ask out of, you know, Drew Smith is now going to make the team no matter what, unfortunately. So we'll, we'll see if he's able to capitalize this time around. But uh, you may see a Nagosik on there. You may see a Tommy Hunter on there now because, I mean, what, what other options do the Mets really have is, you know, more guys continue to get hurt. Somebody's going to have to take up these roster spots. So they just have to use whoever else is on the 40, man. And these other guys have pitched pretty well, too, um, that, that I mentioned earlier. So uh, the Mets are in a, a decent spot right now, but they really can't take too, too many more of these injuries because it, it just seems to happen in bunches. If I look at every single piece of the injured list right now, I don't think I can ever love again, to be honest. Every single player that I have taken a liking to, every single player that I've advocate for is dying they're dead they're gone it, it is not okay this sucks they are done i'm just not going to talk anymore i think i'm done it's over i think i'm just gonna sit here and i'm just i'm just gonna be i'm gonna be the phantom editor of mets weekly that's it i'm just not gonna i'm not gonna do anything I'm just gonna sit here and do nothing it doesn't look like we have much of a long-term concern with any of these injuries besides Coonrod, who I think is going to be out for a while. He's had a lot of injury history in his career. This is really nothing new. Bryce is the one that kind of hurts me the most because I think that, especially in addition to the Edwin Diaz injury, this was somebody that we could have seen as a high leverage arm. And I think that he is a future piece to this bullpen going forward in the next three, four, maybe even five years. Like, I think that this guy is a very talented reliever. He's just never healthy. Brooks Raley, he's 35 years old. Again, these ding-ups are going to happen. We still have not seen him pitch because he's not on the IL yet. We still have not seen him pitch since that, that injury was announced. I also have a very strong feeling that we're probably on the opening day roster. We'll see Tommy Hunter and we'll see Steven Nagosik, mainly because 
of the minor league options, and they're just going to try and get that firsthand flexibility out of the way. And then if they pitch like shit, they get rid of them. What I would do if I'm the Mets, if guys get injured, you find somebody else that can replace that guy, whether he is going to be in AAA or not. So let's say in spring, Steven Nagosik gets hurt. He is not going to be a key contributor down the stretch of the season. He may come up for quite a few innings. Get somebody else, whether it is a quality arm or whether it is just an arm that can eat innings. Get someone else. Just keep going and going and going. Replace that with somebody else, whether it's on the waiver wire, signing a minor league free agent, whatever it is, just keep that depth at the same quantity that it was before these injuries started. And the Mets have started to do that. They have two guys who they just picked up, one on a minor league deal and one off of waivers. So they are looking to still add arms, which I'm glad about. And not to mention... And I, and I will open this up. I will open this discussion. Zach Britton, Corey Knebel, Will Harris, some other guys that are still out there. I mean, I guess it's now you can consider it because of the injuries and when you come to more desperate measures. And then at the, at the trade deadline, we'll be climbing for Andrew Chafin again. So that's going to be another fun one. So can't wait what for What is that, that going to be? The fourth year in a row? Fourth yep. year in a row? Third year in a row? Eighth year in a row? This guy is going to be... Andrew Chafin is going to be a Met when he's 46. He's yeah, 40, he'll, he'll be a 46, he'll be a Met. He's, he's 48 years old, just still throwing his whack-ass sliders. Guys, guess what? I've got another one for you. On Friday night, Mets center fielder Brandon Nimmo was removed from the game after an awkward slide into second base. The day after, Nimmo's MRI revealed a low-grade strain in his knee and ankle. When asked about his status, Mets manager Buck Showalter said Nimmo feels pretty good and is considered week to week. Nimmo then went on to say that in his heart of his hearts, he thinks he will be ready for opening day. Over the offseason, as we all know, Nimmo returned to the Mets on an eight-year, $162 million contract as he enters a 29-year-old season in 2023. This is why the Mets never re-sign their own players. Because look what happened. Y'all banged. You need to re-sign your own players. Diaz dead, Nimmo dead the next day. So don't re-sign Pete Alonso because he's going to just die next to McNeil. And McNeil's is coming too. So, you know, McNeil's will probably be coming in the next week or two. They already signed McNeil. It's over. Exactly. So this is why we don't – this is why we get players from other team and let our players go because they get injured as soon as they sign the extension. There you go. But, again, Nemo's was an awkward slide. Like, it's spring training. What the hell kind of like – I get it's spring training and you have been, you know – on the back sipping uh, martinis on the beach. I get it. You know, you got that superstar treatment and blading to the first three weeks of spring training. So you're not practicing or sliding because that was awful. And it literally could not come at a worse time when it was the next day after Diaz. So it's like you couldn't give us like 24 hours to just, nope, let's just, oh, we got, we got a heart attack in the WBC. How about let's have a heart attack in spring training in games that are equally as meaningless if you ask the mass media so again it looks to be fine you know the week to week thing is gonna be you know is he gonna be ready to, for opening day because opening day is in like two weeks or less than two weeks so that doesn't mean but if he's saying he's gonna be good and buck saying he's gonna be all right you know he's gonna get more rest you know his nemo you know loves that rest got to get that rest that man up uh so again if he's even if he misses the first three games of the season, I'm not going to go nuts. But, again, it looks to not be long-term. It's, let's say, two to three weeks, and then he's back for my birthday. Uh, I guess that would be my target date. Just be back for my birthday, which is the 12th of April. So that's a good target. Yeah, I mean, this is crazy because here's a guy that they purposely kept out of action 
for a good amount of time because they were afraid he might get hurt. They're just trying to keep him nice and rested. This way, nothing happens to him. I still can't believe that Marte played his first spring training game before Brandon Nimmo did because Marte was coming off of like four different injuries, both groins, the core, the hand, every Marte. He got hit in the head, came back. Got hit in the head, came back. Like, so I still get Marte debuted before Brandon Nimmo did. So they're holding Nimmo out this way. They can keep him nice and healthy. He comes back and right away gets hurt. We talked about when they first signed him. We agreed they had to re-sign him, and it was kind of by default because their other options were not that appealing. But our concern was eight years injury-prone guy. This man gets hurt on some of the most routine stuff. It slides. It's running the bases. It's running in the outfield. Like, Nimmo, he just gets these injuries that are just like – He's just injury prone. I mean, there's no other way around it. He gets hurt on stuff that most guys should be okay with. So what bothers me is that, like, the the Mets purposely held Nemo out because they knew he's injury prone. But they still do not get quality backup center field options. They signed Tommy Pham, who we've seen in center field in spring. It's been a nightmare. So who played center field today? Mark Cannon, almost as old as me, and he just he's not a center fielder. And you're not going to put Marte out there because you're worried about his age, his injury history. Like, the fact that they didn't get anybody that could actually play center field at a competent level, even if they can't hit. Like, at least they could just play center field at a pretty good rate. The fact that they haven't done that, and Tim LaCastro doesn't count, Andrew. I'm sorry. I know you love him, but Tim LaCastro doesn't count. It's just so crazy because, like, they knew they had this problem. Like, and we talk about this all the time. We knew they had a left-handed DH problem. Like, they had these issues that are so obvious, yet they continue to ignore it and just let it go. So you knew you had an injury-prone guy. Then he gets hurt, and you're like, oh, now what are we going to do? Like, come on. It's just so frustrating because, like, now what are we going to do? Nemo will come back, but this is only year one of year eight. So we'll see. But I'm just so frustrated with this lack of backup center fielders. It's so annoying. But can I interest you in utility man Luke Ritter playing center field? He had 20 home runs last year. That's some power. And you saw him hit a fat nuke against the played, Cardinals. Has he even played center field? Like real he plays talk. second he short in the outfield. He can play the outfield. I don't, know if he, I don't know if he can play center field per se, but I know he can play the outfield. Play the corner. See, that's when you start to tank for the draft pick. Like, that's when it gets meaningless, you know? Well, when Nimmo was healthy for the few games, he looked like Brandon Nimmo. So, I mean... Him healthy, he's fine, but God, for fuck's sake, I was ready to be put into one of those straight jackets once that happened. Like, that's how I was like, okay, coming off of a heartbreaking Diaz injury. And then all of a sudden I see Brandon Nimmo not even complete the slide, just catches catches cleat or whatever. I don't know what the hell just happened. And again, this is, this is a night game, it's supposed to be a relaxing game. And I'm just like, really? Seriously? And I'm seeing this guy on the ground. I'm like, give me a break for once from piece of comedy. Let's be real for a second. Out of all of offseason moves that they've made, from extensions, from re-signings, to trades, whatever, you have Brooks Raley, you have Edwin Diaz, you have Brandon Nimmo, Jose Quintana. All of them happened this offseason. None of these injuries are Justin Verlander, who we who we had the most concern about at age 40. The world has turned upside down. In terms of center field options, it looks like Tim LaCastro is probably going to get a lot of playing time. And I really 
am dreading that moment. I really am because I feel like we're going to have a carbon copy of. Hey, hey, don't you say that. Don't you say that name. Has Travis Jankowski ever lifted the baseball? This man is too. I'm sorry. For- Travis Stop. Jankowski Stop. started the home opener Stop. last year. He's stuck in that opening night photo or whatever. Why? <laughs> I'm just why. That's all I got to say. I get it's Brandon Nimmo. He has his health concerns. He's always had health problems. This is just something that you're going to have to deal with. And that's just how it is with Brandon Nimmo. Like, and and that's just that's just how, how it's just kind of just been with all of these outfielders. Because, you know, whether it is age or whether it is their injury history, this is the risk that they took. And so far, it's not really looking good. I don't want to see Tommy Pham in center field. That's it. And I feel like I am going to, which really, really sucks because Tommy Pham looks like he's going to have a guaranteed spot on the roster, granted if he gets injured or not. Tommy Pham versus Tim LaCastro is is not a debate I want to have on this podcast in a few weeks. I just don't want to have that debate. Can't really complain about the outfield depth now. It's not the offseason anymore, and this is just what we're going to have to deal with of basically on our knees praying that all three of our outfielders don't die in the process of going up the stairs or whatever. So among the storylines that we have had to watch this spring, the third base position has been as intriguing as advertised. The Mets' number two overall prospect, Brett Beatty, has been on fire. He is 13 for 36 with seven walks, five extra base hits, five runs batted in, in 45 plate appearances this spring. Beatty has really taken advantage of the everyday playing time with Eduardo Escobar playing for Team Venezuela in the WBC, who signed a two-year, $20 million contract with the Mets last offseason, which includes a year three team option for 2024. With the anticipation of every Mets prospect starting 2023 in AAA, Beatty is really making that decision harder and harder every day. Frank. You said, Beatty, show me. So what has he shown? He's had a good spring. I mean, but spring training, these games don't count. doesn't mean anything. So until this happens, you know, in the regular season, when it matters against, you know, the elite teams and things like that, in the postseason, when all that happens, then I'll buy it. But as of right now, he's had a good spring. I'm happy for him. He's supposed to. I mean, this is what we expect out of him. This is what I've heard. He's so great. So I said, show me. He's showing me that he's playing really well. So he needs to keep it up because it's not going to happen from a lot of the other parts on this team. So he's going to have to step up and get it done because these other guys ain't. Especially with the Mets not making it a priority to add new power bats, he's going to have to be the new supply of offense. He's doing Brett Beatty things, and he's back to doing Brett Beatty things. We didn't see this, that little sliver. We saw it throughout the whole triple-A season, or double-A season, and then that little spurt in triple-A. Then he got pull-happy in the big leagues. Brett Beatty is not at his best when he's pulling everything. You've seen that in spring training. There's that thing called that left center field gap. Yeah, when Brett Beatty's going well, the balls go that way. Not just, he can pull a ball, and he can pull a hanging curveball down the line. Don't get me wrong. But Brett's, be- Brett's at his best. When those outside curveballs are getting and just being launched into that gap, and you've seen it. only one homer, which you know, no power. You know, we don't we need power, but you know, we see in the doubles, whatever. And lately, in the last week or two, we're starting to see some better defense, and that's what I'm watching. I knew that we all know the bat's going to be there. We're watching defensively. He made the errors the first two weeks of spring, and we're like, oh god, this is uh, trying to think. This is a Adam Dunn at third base. This man can't catch anything. Last two weeks, you're starting to see back. He's making some nice plays, showing off his range, whatever. Made a few nice plays today. So that's more what I'm looking for. We all know, at least we all know, the bat's going to be there. We're waiting for the defense. And 
Was it was that a mistake for Eduardo Escobar to play for Team Venezuela, giving this kid the full time platform to say, "Hey, you're gonna play every day, and I'm gonna go be a bench writer on Venezuela and get like six abs in the WBC," you know? But if I'm Brett Beatty and you want to keep your job, you don't want to take the job. We found a way to get rid of Eduardo Escobar. Just fill his locker full of cats, and you'll never see Eduardo Escobar ever again. Because if I'm Brett Beatty, I'm putting that stuffed cat, I'm putting like nine of them in your locker. Bye. Goodbye. Stay in Miami. Go. There's some nice restaurants down there. Don't come back. Hit the road. Never show up again. But if I'm Brett, just put a cat everywhere. I'm putting him everywhere around the locker room so he just stays away and never comes back. I barely jump the gun with prospects. I think that, like, I think that they should have the longest of development time that they you know, going from all these levels and from single A to double A, triple A, whatever you want to talk, whatever you want to call it. But there is really no reason. And I mean, no reason with a guy of this bat speed, this, this bat control, this just pure hitting skill should start in triple A. There really isn't. There's no reason as to why. The only reason that's holding him back is pretty much just Escobar's contract. If Escobar wasn't getting paid what he's getting paid, then Beatty would be the everyday third baseman. I don't think that should matter. If you play like shit, you should not be playing at all. The whole defense debate. Yes, Beatty is not the best defender. And he's not the greatest. We've seen some improvements so far this spring. We'll see how that sustains throughout this year. But that really should not be an argument. Because Eduardo Escobar is just as bad at third base. So there really is not much of an argument to keep Eduardo Escobar here. But we know that this is a veteran-infused team, and they're going to keep Eduardo Escobar there. But if I had to make the choice, Brett Beatty's my opening day third base. I don't know what to say anymore because what I need to see from a young player at the major league level to see if they are not overmatched by the pitcher. And he has not been overmatched at all. I don't think that there's any reason why he should be in AAA this year. I know he's going to start off in AAA because this is how the Mets like to do it, but he should be on the opening day roster. I don't think that there's really any other possibility that you can just put out there and say, well, Eduardo Escobar does this. Eduardo Escobar does that. Brett Beatty's one of your top prospects. Eduardo Escobar is not that important, and I've continued to say it. But, but what about the la what about September Escobar? That was the greatest coming of Jesus, was that set the month of Escobar. The Escobar fan base is just full of delusion. Like, that's, that's literally just how it's all designed. So now it's time for everybody's favorite segment, studs and duds. One player that sucked, one player that was great throughout the entire last two weeks, I guess, since we did not have an episode last week. So my stud is uh, Starling Marte. I, I was very happy that in his first game back, he already showed, like, he's in midseason form. He's hitting home runs, he's hitting line drives doubles or running the bases, things like that. And I was just very excited because we saw that when he got hurt against Pittsburgh, this was a different lineup. I mean, this team was very different with Stanley Marte out. It was a glaring hole in the lineup. And then even when he came back for the playoffs, he got a hit here or there, but he still didn't look quite right. So I'm just glad that, you know, he had all these injuries and we were, I was kind of uncertain, like, would he even start opening day after all these surges that he was having? Didn't, you know, start off in spring training right away, but He's come back. He's looked perfectly fine, playing well. So I'm just really happy that he's back in the lineup and healthy. So he's my son of the week. I'm just glad to see him in a Mets jersey again. I'll go Max Scherzer because his last two starts, he had those the the three innings against uh, one of the WBC teams. But nine strikeouts and three innings, not bad. And then last night, yesterday, seven innings was a nine strikeouts and against the Astros. I know it's a 
very thin Astros lineup because everybody else is in the WBC, but still seven innings a week before the season starts. Good to see he's already in midseason form and just being Max Scherzer. And he's saying, oh, yeah, I can get a little bit better too. So uh, feels good, looks good. I'll go with Max Scherzer. I made a promise to myself before today's game of spring because they were both pitching today that whoever pitches better will be my stud. Cap. That, that's kind of shuddy. So I was all ready to, to cue up David Peterson, right? Because he did pitch better. But then the mini Chungus out of nowhere <laughs> hits for the cycle. And I just had to do it. And overall, this spring, DJ Stewart has actually hit fairly well. And he's been kind of silent behind the Almontes and the Lacastros. But overall, from bat to ball skills, from plate discipline, he's been pretty good. I don't think he makes the opening day roster. Obviously, he starts in AAA, but I kind of, I kind of like this guy. I'm not gonna lie. Mini Chungus, he was hauling ass to third somehow. Considering we haven't had many televised Mets games recently, I guess I gotta go with the recency bias. You hit for the cycle. That's that's it's 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 good. You know that's cool. Cool. We don't see cycles that much. Let's get to the losers. Can we all just can we all just say the same name? Because I think we all have the same name. Because we he can just be in this segment every week. Tommy Fam, like, what do you do? Like, just him breathing is just does a dud. So Tommy Fam, uh, I'm actually gonna go with Vogelback. I think he's uh, starting oh, to go just back on the dogs. That's that's bullshit. Right there. That that's <laughs> fatism if I've ever seen it right there. <laughs> I mean, he's he's lost weight, but I mean. <laughs> he got off to the good start. He probably was like maybe my first stud of the week, I, I want to say. Like one of the first episodes because he was off to a good start. You know, we're talking about no shift, pulling the ball. It's okay. They count his hits. You know, big power lefty bat. But he's just kind of been back on the decline. So he's someone I still can't quite figure out like what his role is going to be with the Mets because we talked about so much. He, he started really good, didn't finish off so good. So is he just a shrieky player? Is he just – not, not playing well right now like I, I just don't even know what's going on with him and I'm again like he's kind of lucky that the Mets don't really have too many other great hitting options so he's kind of one of those guys that he's going to be the DH regardless because who's going to take his spot won't be Tommy DJ Pan, you know? Stewart I, I feel like if there's an injury and then Stewart gets called up maybe he, he has a chance but I, I feel like it's still going to be Vogelback's job going forward I just haven't seen, like, like when he first started. I knew it wasn't going to stay that hot, but come on. You got to be just a little closer. I have a dud, I have a dud of expectation here. I don't know what it is, but, like, I could see he was he's such a transparent player where I'm just like, yeah, this is a pedestrian player. Like, he's really just not anything special. Eliezer Hernandez, this guy is just not good. Like, he really is just not a good pitcher at all. He just has, like, an arm that, like, stays healthy. He's able to just put the ball over the plate. But 99% of the time, he is batting practice. And that's something that I kind of just expected from him. To be honest, I think that they like the durability with this guy, and I, I don't know why. I don't think he's good at all. Like, I, I have – there is really just no redeeming qualities from this guy. This guy just stinks. Like, I – I don't think he's good at all. There's just no real redeeming quality from him. He's just there because he's just healthy 
and he could probably just eat innings. Like, that's it. He's just a pedestrian. Now that brings us to our rapid-fire stories. The Mets made their first round of spring cuts. Those are Jose Budo, Connor Gray, Grant Hartwig, which is criminal, Eric Gorzy, Josh Walker, and prospects Kevin Parada, and Alex Ramirez. The Mets also reassigned the following players to minor league camp. Abraham Almonte, Jalen Davis, Lorenzo Cedrola, Hayden Senger, and William Woods. Almonte's red-hot spring was cut short due to cab soreness, where Buck Showalter said he is likely ways away from resuming baseball activities. The Mets have also optioned Joey Lucchese and Ronnie Mauricio to AAA Syracuse to start the 2023 season. Mauricio made quite the impression this spring smashing four homers with six extra base hits in 35 plate appearances. The Mets have claimed Dennis Santana off waivers from the Twins. Santana is a 28-year-old hard-throwing right-handed pitcher, but he is out of minor league options going into the 2023 season. The Mets also signed right-handed pitcher Booby Rossman to a minor league deal. Rossman is 30 years old and pitched for Team Israel in the WBC. He's also the son of actor Charlie Rossman from the movie Superbad. That's not important information. I just thought that was cool. Zach Green has cleared waivers and will go back to the Yankees. The Mets selected Green in the MLB portion of the Rule 5 draft this year. Now he will go back to the Bronx after a rough spring training in Port St. Lucie. Max Scherzer is expected to start on opening day versus the Marlins on March 30th. This also slates Justin Verlander to start the Mets home opener versus Miami on April 6th. Former Mets pitcher Jordan Yamamoto has retired from baseball at the age of 26. Yamamoto had a few cups of coffee with the Mets back in 2021 before signing with the Dodgers this offseason and then rapidly retired. Parting words for episode 11 of the Mets Weekly Podcast. We're never missing another week of the pod because if this is what happens every week, uh, we're not going to have a team by mid-June. So besides that, uh, you know, it's, you know, Lindora's back in camp tomorrow. Um, Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil, maybe probably back hopefully Wednesday. Team USA, let's see if we can keep winning. Trey Turner is the second coming of Hulk Hogan. And uh, let's go beat Shohei Otani in the final. We're getting really close. We're right near opening day, but we just need everyone to stay healthy. I mean, everyone just hang in there. Please, no more injuries because uh, we're a couple injuries away from getting some Long Island Ducks on the team. So we're trying to avoid that this year. I mean, we, we don't want to do that again. So... Uh, everybody just be careful because we're close to the regular season. We're just ready for it to get underway. But, I mean, I've said it multiple times in this episode. Everything I love has just died in front of me. So I love Darren Ruff. I love Tommy Pham. I love Drew Smith. Eduardo Escobar is one of my favorite people in the world. And I just want to get it out there. But other than that, this week has sucked. I'm not going to lie. It really has not been a fun week as a Mets fan. I just need news that is not going to make me pan. But other than that, thank you guys so much for watching or for those listening right now. Let's go Mets. Be a better week than this week. See you guys.